Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. We are so fortunate enough to be here with Shaz Zamore and Amber Wendler, the editors of Been Outside, which is a compendium of essays. It's Adventures of Black Women, Non-Binary, and Gender Non-Conforming People in Nature. And this is an impressive body of these essays, which there's so many differences looking at everything, but the through lines that are going through the entire compendium, there were so many things that I picked up on that I was like, I can't wait to ask these questions because there were so many points of fascination for me. I guess my first question to the both of you is how did you begin the process of coming up with kind of the idea and the impetus behind compiling all these experiences? And I also want to add that you're both contributing authors to the compendium as well. In that, what was the journey of deciding like what your piece was going to be to contribute to the collection? Amber and I met kind of through this book really was our, our first real time really working together. And we had basically come up with these five categories as we were pitching, looking for writers, looking for contributors. And we set up that structure to just give some someone something to grasp onto. You know, constraints are really important for play and creativity. Yeah. So Amber, do you remember? I don't even remember those first five, <laughs> the original five categories we had. I think our original ideas were kind of the arc of someone's trajectory into oh, yeah. outdoors and science, the spark, and then learning how to do it and becoming more involved. But um, we really, although we wanted to give people a place to start, we didn't want to put too many limitations on folks and wanted people to write about things that they were passionate about and felt comfortable sharing. So as we collected stories and started talking to folks, those initial themes did shift. Quite a bit. (laughs) Um, But we we did meet with the contributors pretty often and early on and shopped some ideas with them. And we were really, we tried to have a lot of feedback, especially in that beginning part. Not because we had any kind of goal in mind, but just to help people just get on that creative process. And because we started out talking with a lot of people in the sciences, 
we ran into a couple of people. This was their first or second time really writing creatively instead of technically or scientifically, which is a whole other kit and caboodle. So yeah, so we we had a lot of uh, meetings up front just to kind of help people shape their creative process. And then as the stories came together, we started to look at, okay, what are themes? What do we just naturally want to put like which stories do we kind of think of when we read other stories uh who reminds us of other people and just kind of let it naturally form and then we kind of came up with okay what do these have in common what do these have in common (laughs) and let it kind of let the pieces talk to us instead of trying to form a narrative really around it and we still did follow a little bit of that trajectory through like one's passion as you get to know it, as you really go, oh yeah, this is it. That's kind of the section all in kind of follows that. But we also saw so much, so many stories of ancestry and tradition, allyship and generational support. And it kind of became bigger than that trajectory. It kind of became, how does that trajectory interplay with the culture writ large, uh, these black cultures writ large? So that kind of that's kind of where it all where it all came from, where it came for us to put our stories in. <laughs> that was easy for me. I waited. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I took my sweet time. <laughs> and, and I found it funny that so to give some sort of timeline, the initial idea for this book was like fall. 2020 and then it was officially published in fall 2023 so about a three-year long journey and we tried to have you know loose timelines for the contributors but worked with people on an individual basis especially as different life circumstances came up and pushed back deadlines as needed but for us we were able to take our time writing our stories as we were doing the editing and other components and I you know had a lot of personal growth within this three-year time period and so I definitely saw my story shifting. I wrote about my personal journey getting into the outdoors starting from when I was a child to now and in grad school. And you know, grad school has had some challenging times, especially a lot of my work has been field-based. I've spent 12 plus months in the field during that time period. As much as I love outdoors, I definitely experienced some difficulties in that setting as well. So as I was going back later in the process, I I, I realized my tone in some of it. I was like, wait, I, I actually like the outdoors. <laughs> Why did I write it in this way? Or And uh, edited as needed. And just, you know, my confidence grew during that time period as well. So it was fun and unexpected to see some shifts in my writing as well. Yeah. Definitely. I wrote about snowboarding and I started writing the piece in the summertime. And then I was editing it as the season was just starting up and as I was getting out into newer and bigger terrain. Um, And I actually ended my, I changed the ending of my piece pretty drastically. I kind of finished talking about just the overarching kind of segregation that exists in snow sports in general. Uh, And I just felt like that was not the note. Um, And especially going out and just seeing how much camaraderie there is there. I'm like, no, that's not the vibe. And actually ended up going back and reworking the whole ending to talk about the people who I do ride with now and what that experience is like and how unique Colorado is for having the amount of diversity in riders and snowboarders that I've seen. It's kind of amazing. And as a process of reading the stories and as a process of seeing where people were taking their 
inspiration and wanting the story to be an inspiration in itself. I just wanted to leave it at a place that was much more about celebrating the victories and looking at the work that has to come. It's uh, it's interesting just like hearing the both of you from the perspective of how all of this came together. And uh, there, there are a few things that like pop into my mind um, braiding sweetgrass and how a lot of that is such a compendium of stories, obviously from one specific author throughout the entirety, but how for me, all of a sudden it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The the parallels of that and just like how working with nature and how being out in the outdoors, there's so much in the book that's about the outdoors as the space to claim to, to give joy. And that is something that like I found there was such a present theme of joy in the book. I loved just seeing everybody's different sort of ways that the outdoors were a part of their lives and how you know, obviously it's not all joy because not every author wrote from that perspective, but there was so much of it that was present. And so it just was, it's a nice, for me, a parallel that I just came to in my brain as I, as I was listening to you both talk about how this all kind of came together. Yeah. I don't really know what to, to add. I think that's a beautiful point. And I love that that kind of reached through. There's definitely a lot of joy in the production of the book when we had our, especially at our contributor meetings, We'd schedule about, I don't know, sometimes we had some lengthy meetings, about 90 minutes of getting through some pretty detailed stuff, but uh, we'd always leave some time just to chat and hang out and spend time with each other. And so there was just this kind of, I guess, a practice of finding joy together. And I, I don't know, I feel like it's hard to have a bad, like a not find joy in nature, I think is a talent. You have to expend energy to do that. <laughs> it's like a special sort of brand of negativity to really be able to just like actively ju- just push nature away and not accept what, what it's giving. I'm so fascinated at the way you all collaborated because because you were talking about how like there was so much joy in the meetings. I feel like when there is joy in the process, you can always tell in the outcome or in what is created. And I feel like the joy among all of you is just so like kind of clear from the page because this doesn't feel like these are things coming from different places or like one person sort of took some things and put them together. It felt like a group of people who knew each other came together to create and this is what this was and to just compliment you on the curation because it flows so well it gets you into this one place you just so like gently ease into the next piece from the next person and I'm curious if there was any kind of process that you went through when it came to like how do we put these in in an order that works for us <laughs> oh that was so much time <laughs> thank you so much it means yeah so much. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm really, really happy to hear that. Yeah, it, it was definitely a long process. Um, Shaz and I would also meet separately outside of the group, and also people were on different timelines, so stories were perhaps at different stages, and you know, people were making changes. But one element that we do think makes this anthology unique is this community. We did all really come together and talk about our different stories and you know and Shaz and I were providing feedback too. If there were some things that were repetitive from one story to the next, we made the contributors aware about that or different elements that could be added. For example, since I was writing my story a bit after, I tried to add some elements that I think there were gaps 
in the book, and then of, of the art at the start of each section, so it was really uh, made me so happy as well and, and captured those emotions really well. I, I just want to belabor how long we took with the order. <laughs> It was so much time and so many like, oh, where do we put the poems and how do we want to have the poems punctuate the rhythm of like having all of these long essays as prose. And there was a lot of, I think we got down to one point where we were trying to switch to, we weren't sure at the very, very end, we kind of had everything done except for two sections. And we weren't sure, like, it was every day we're like, just toggling back and forth. No, I think this should go in the end. <laughs> it really was some fine tuning. We thought a lot about uh, the pieces. I think we got, we both got so close in each of the writers through the stories and the process of like working with them, as, as uh, Amber had said, that we really did want to make sure that certain voices were particularly heard, certain stories were emphasized by their placement, as well as like, what is the experience we want the reader to have going through all of these really awesome stories. How cool are those contributors? They're like the most amazing people I've ever met. <laughs> I was fascinated by just how many people were scientists and not just environmental scientists because there were neuroscientists, there were tech people. And one of my big questions for you is obviously the outdoors is important, obviously science and the outdoors kind of enmesh, but how did it come to be that there were just happened to be so many scientists that were contributors. Like, I think it's, it's so interesting. Every, almost every story I read, I felt like that was a big through line throughout the book there. Shaz and I are scientists ourselves. So we were searching within our own personal and professional circles first for contributors. And how we went on our searches, we posted on social media, we also directly messaged people on social media, emailed, also people I've met at seminars, conferences. To back up a little bit, before this book in like summer 2020, we had co-organized along with other folks Black Birders Week and this was a like international social media event in response to a racist incident that occurred in Central Park with Black Birder Christian Cooper and so this just brought a lot of folks together a lot of people who were scientists studying birds and other outdoors and this led to a variety of Black and X weeks including Black and Neuro, Black and Neuroscience, Black Botanist Week so this really built Black and Marine Biology. Yeah, it built this huge community and we were able to draw from these folks we connected with and uh, ask them if they wanted to contribute to our books. It's great to just, just to see like how that kind of just becomes an important thread of the book. And I think just thinking about where we're at <laughs> with the world and the environment and climate change, I love that as sort of like this, this sort of running theme that is happening in each of these pieces, even if it's only touched upon in that, like, I'm a scientist, or this is my background, and then quickly the piece goes somewhere else. I do think that that's an important thread. And it's great that it's in there. I, I, it's great that everybody added to that tapestry of this piece through that. Dusty, do you want to ask about birding now? Because I feel like we touched on it. <laughs> Again, I could hijack this entire conversation just to be about birds. This actually kind of connects to the next question I was thinking about. One of the reasons that I am a birder is because of just like, I feel like the nature of engaging in birding is like rooted in gentleness. There is just like an inherent gentleness to that kind of activity. And 
I also got a sense of inherent gentleness throughout this collection, generally speaking. And it's something like I see all the time. There's this sort of like, um, that sort of like capitalistic urgency also inside of outdoor engagement and outdoor recreation. And when I read through this book, it was like, let's breathe and let's get back to the earth for a minute. And that was clear to me from the very, very beginning. And I'm just wondering if that was something that you were both thinking about was sort of actively woven in or just sort of like, was that perhaps something that was indicative of how you started the process and how you all worked together? I feel like, Amber, your story is kind of like really hitting this on the head. These stories did bring up a lot of emotions for folks both good emotions, bad emotions. A lot of folks have had a lot of deep healing in these nature spaces. And so we're able to reflect on that individually and as a community and really feel grateful for what we've been able to receive from these outdoor spaces and in community. And I think I mentioned a bit that my story had shifted a bit. Yeah, I would say just reflecting on my journey, those elements stood out. I think you're you're spot on with this, with calling out the urgency that shows up in natural spaces. And there's a lot of peak bagging, you know, <laughs> like the ways that it shows up. And uh, even just like the rating systems that we have for like climbing is all very like egoistic, right? I could do this. It's, it's built on how can I measure my growth, but it ends up being this point of like competition. And whenever you get competition, you get um, gatekeeping and right. So things, things very quickly become exclusionary. So there's almost like, uh, like embedded into the way we even think about nature as people who have been historically excluded comes with, uh, can we not do that? (laughs) Which creates the pause, right? Yeah. So I I think there are some, some sort of natural kind of just the, the way your brain works when, you get access to something you're, you've been told you don't get, and then you go, wait a minute, but this is like the same thing I, my grandparents have been doing. Why did you call it something different? <laughs> I don't know how planned it was to, to have that kind of feeling of, let's take a step back. I think that we tend to operate in a decolonized fashion, I think very intentionally and with practice. Um, and that comes with this reconstruction of how we approach things. It was cool to see it echoed, you know, it was very cool to meet more and more and more and more people that are just like, yeah, no, I just do my own thing. A wave is a wave. A peak is a peak. <laughs> it's all about the experience. <laughs> you know, the outdoors really is about non-competitiveness. It's really about experience. And what does that experience give to you as opposed to like, how can I measure myself against somebody else having this experience? I think that also leads in some ways when it comes to the outdoors and outdoor experiences, um, you know, to curiosity. And that's something we talk about a lot of the times. And I, when Dusty said that, I feel like birding is a lot about gentleness in my head I'm like oh he's gonna say curiosity because I feel like birding is a lot especially when I watch him because now I'm a birder by proxy it's curiosity oh well what what is what are you what what's going on over there so my my question is how does curiosity factor in for the both of you um when it comes to outdoor spaces and how did maybe the idea of curiosity blossom throughout the development of this you know, anthology. Can I, can I start this one? 
Sweet. Um, yeah, I, I remember the first time I was, I felt curiosity as like a full body experience with this book. And it was right around when we had started to get our first drafts in. And I was very, very curious about what the heck I was going to even hear. So we had this, a form and they could check the sort of vague topics that we had given and they could check more than one. Um, and then they would submit their piece. So we kind of had a general kind of grouping. And so we saw a lot of people submitting to pretty much, there were like two topics that pretty much everyone submitted to. And I just went, but why? <laughs> why? Why that? And I also, as a part of the editing process, you know, further down the line, there was definitely a point where, actually before before then, there was a point of wanting to know who they were writing for. And I remember having this conversation, I think we ended up doing having it as like a group conversation in one of the contributor meetings, but I asked in every single piece that I edited, who are you thinking about? Is there a specific person or that approximates the ideal audience right to that person. And I was, that's the part I really wanted to hear about uh, from the contributors because a book isn't a book without its audience. <laughs> and that was probably like the first thing where curiosity controlled the outcome for me of, of the book. I guess building off of that, another thing that Shaz and I noticed when we were going through the initial drafts that led us to asking questions and having a conversation with the group is a lot of people felt like they couldn't write with authority on the topic, even though these folks perhaps had been doing their outdoor activity for a decade. Not that it even matters how long you've been doing it, but a lot of these people have been told either directly or by society that they're not enough, that they always need to be doing more, that perhaps their knowledge or skill set isn't valued. So that was something we were trying to encourage people to use stronger language and let them know what you have to say is valuable and you are an expert on this and you do have a right to speak with authority on this topic. And so that was something that we weren't initially expecting. It was very trippy because it would be people that are like, I've been the single lead expert in this whole research field for like five years and I don't know if I could talk about this. <laughs> We're like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, that's a really great point. I kind of forgot about that. Ugh, it's been such a journey. Now it makes me curious about back to what you were saying about how this type of writing was different than the scientific writing. That scientific writing often is in service of proving a point via research, which is like contributing like to a sort of larger body of work on this one particular subject matter that perhaps then will be studied. And so it's making me think like, oh, well, that's so fascinating that like going internal to go, hi, where am I in this experience um, was um, was the challenge at times. Yeah, a lot of the first drafts were very factual, <laughs> very um, chronological. There's a beauty to scientific writing, which is that it's very well structured and that lends itself beautifully to creative writing. <laughs> and so this kind of, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say, I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to tell you what I said. They were really well practiced at that. And so pulling that out was not, it was really just like, what's the rhythm of your story? What are you kind of circling back to? What are like the repeated elements that are threat that you're weaving through that story? 
it ended it ended up getting a lot of people very critical about word choice and kind of a consistency if they're if they're recalling something i have to recall it all with the same depth they're like no no <laughs> you can let that go <laughs> but it was beautiful to see how people you know especially like second draft was like ah yes there you are cool i see i see the full human this is really rad it's cool to hear you talk about like kind of drawing out that artistry and like because you're that's essentially what you were it seems like you were doing throughout the process is okay we have people that know how to write and can write really well but it's coming in a little more factual scientific data-driven kind of that in a language that they're used to speaking and so then asking them to be free and be, be very open and give their experience from a more like I dare I say like soulful perspective like even though it's prose just like accessing that artistic part it sounds like that journey was really fascinating to watch happen. And I'm sure as, as editors, like just seeing where something started to like how the piece ultimately ended must have been so fascinating in, in so many cases. They're like our, our babies. They're so grown up. They changed so much. They changed so much. The poems. Yeah, just beautiful. And I think also folks figuring out how vulnerable and open they wanted to be with their story was a big thing and is often tough in sharing your personal story to the entire wor world. Some stories very clearly call out yeah. certain people. Yeah. If they were to read the book, they would know <laughs> it's them. So <laughs> um, just giving people space to do that. Yeah. I think, but that also shows what the experience is like, though. I think that call, like there were so many stories where I was reading about colleagues or supervisors that were sort of like, so this is a question I wrote that was um, several contributors talk about their experiences with colleagues and supervisors, be it after the murder of George Floyd or in applying for positions within their field or even just existing in their field where this question of value and their own experiences as people of color are minimized or brushed over as something that shouldn't be validly considered. My question is, why is it important not to divorce these experiences, these lived experiences, these past experiences from the present and from the person? That's a, it's a really delicate dance. The trauma farming is like really prevalent, especially in academic spaces. You're so used to like, oh, I have to tell you about my trauma now so you can get some money, I guess. And like, it's a, it's this really kind of toxic cycle to fall into. And it was a very careful walk to make sure that people were showing themselves, but not at the expense of revealing something that's too personal to put out in public. There were a couple of times I edit, I suggested some people take some specifics out, not because it was calling anybody out, but just because it felt really personal. And the story isn't as important as the impact. Uh, and so we just kind of sat with that. Like, if you're going to talk about it, really think about why and why it's important to say these things. And I think what ended up happening is people self-filtered. And you get these stories where it's like, no, it's important to tell you the story because I, I wouldn't be here doing this at the level that I am, being the expert that I am, if I hadn't gone through that. I wouldn't have valued this when I think about supporting and mentoring the next generation if this didn't happen um, or seeing witnessing it again witnessing something that had I had gone through and now I can at least show someone how to be resilient through that difficulty if not solve the problem outright so I think for a vast majority of those cases the stories are very relevant um, and you almost can't separate the past experience from the person there one leads to the other the the path of healing out of those experiences is the story worth telling 
was really taken by the very last story by Tierra Moore, All I Ever Needed. When you mentioned scientific writing and its structure, when I read it, I was so like, wow, like, here's why I did this, because I was feeling all of these things because of these reasons, like, so clear, everything was so connected. And so um, now I'm really starting to understand, like, the sort of, you know, scientific writing lending itself to creative writing. And I'm curious um, why that story as the final story. First, I want to say Tierra Moore is an amazing writer. (laughs) (laughs) A pleasure to work with. (laughs) You can just feel the emotions as you're reading. And um, so Tierra Moore founded the organization Black and Marine Science, and it's been wildly successful. The organization has gotten billions of dollars in grant funding to get students and folks into marine science, get them scuba diving, all sorts of things, and they've really put in a lot of work and put their whole heart into that story, and we just wanted to recognize all the work she's been doing and also end on a note of community that although she's experienced various challenges in life and being alone and she was able to go out and make a community and help others and thought it would be also could be a call to action something that others can be inspired by and do themselves and I think that message too of like all I ever really needed was myself is so important (laughs) in so many places, definitely in natural spaces, definitely in field work, but really life lesson. And I I don't know if you've had the pleasure of of chatting with her, but she's the kind of person that as soon as you meet her, you know exactly who she is. Like she is true. Like you meet Tiara and that's it. You got it. And you'd never know that she overcame the struggles that she came. And like, I just what a loving and buoyant person like just the the power of that the power of just staying light and not becoming bitter and not becoming like dragged down which is not those aren't bad things right but to see the strength that it takes to like really show up fully as like no this is this is great (laughs) it just really i don't know i just wanted to have i wanted to put her on blast i wanted everybody to know like how incredible she is and and have that message going out yeah it's so much love like on the page like coming through through her words and in that story as I was reading it I was like what an incredible goal to to strive for to be able to speak so clearly about what you've experienced that was harmful and then be able to like have that motivate you into uh, becoming the person you dreamed of becoming I am also curious about um, the cover art, because the cover art is awesome. And I'm wondering about like, what's the story of the cover art and how it how it became this because like from this, you get so much like I feel like the gentleness is also here inside of this artwork, the science is here, the recreation is here. And also the love for nature is is present. So I'm I was just wondering, like, what was the story of how this became the cover artwork? So the illustrator is Simone Martin Newbery. She is an excellent uh, illustrator based out of Chicago. And we are really glad that 
she came on board for this project. She read through all of the stories before even starting to think about what the illustrations were going to look like. So she can bring all those emotions in and we were given different drafts and different color schemes. So especially this particular color scheme, I've got the book here as well. We all agree that having these bright, vibrant colors really spoke to our message and the stories, as you mentioned previously, this thread of joy in being outdoors. I, I really love it. I can't take much credit for it. <laughs> yeah. I, it was really all Simone's mastery, the talent. I felt like it was, she did not give us good choices. Like we had, it was difficult. I think at one point I was just like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not voting. I'm abstaining. <laughs> these are too, these are too nice that I can't choose. Just beauty from first, first sketch. I'm wondering, Shaz, you brought up a phrase that I loved and like, I, like I wrote it down, which was, um, fully felt curiosity like in your entire body and I'm wondering like just in your own relationship with the outdoors is there a moment you can think about when you had a moment in the outdoors where you felt like full-bodied curiosity I, yeah constantly all the time <laughs> uh even as you were saying that I was thinking about three kind of specific moments um, one, because I think because we're talking about bird watching, uh, I also used to study birds. It's a bunch of bird nerds here. Uh, when you see a little flutter through the trees, but you can't quite make it out at that moment of like, Ooh, who are you? I gotta go see. And it's just that you can't sit still. Like it's just this urge to find out if I just took two more steps, if I looked, craned my neck just a little bit farther. Uh, so that's definitely one moment. And a similar moment is spotting a line snowboarding or if I see something that could be like a feature I can go off of that little moment of Ooh, can I <laughs> is that possible <laughs> uh and it's still it it has like the last experience it has this feeling of I have to I must there's no sitting still the next step is to go find out I can definitely relate to that my work with birds has forced me to slow down a lot and often if I'm just observing a pair of birds, I'm in one place for an extended period of time and would see lots of things that I wouldn't see otherwise. And I would just see people walking past me on these trails and they don't notice the birds, they don't notice the insects or the plants around. And it just, it just really hit me. And over the past few years, more and more, I just try to slowly walk down the trails and I've picked up on lots of different things where certain insects are, different plants. Uh, I do my work, part of my work in a rainforest in Puerto Rico, so there's a lot of biodiversity there. And there's these really cool semi-slugs that are bright. They look like they're glowing. And I would just, you know, notice little silhouettes under the palm leaves up above and pull it down and be like, oh, is that one of the slugs? Or or look at the stick bugs. I would see little marks cut out of leaves, like insects taking bites out of it. I'm like, oh, I wonder what insect did that. And then I, I would see the, the culprit there. So just these tiny little signs that nature is showing and digging deeper and figuring out what's there. I'm curious, the two of you and the community of people that you created, like the, what is the hope 
when when someone does pick up been outside and they do take it home and they do sit with it. Obviously, everybody is on their own journey and they will take from it what they take from it and what they need from it in that moment. But what what hopes do you have or have you talked about as far as like things that you hope it gives? Well, everything you all said about the book tonight has just made my heart sing. <laughs> so really what, what you all have taken from it is really, for me, exemplary of what I hope every reader takes from it. Um, just the stories of joy and uh, community and all of that that, you, that resonated with you for sure. I think it may differ depending on who is reading it. As our introduction starts off, welcome black people and people who love us. Specifically thinking about other black people reading this book, you know, these are not stories that Shaz and I had access to when we were growing up. To my knowledge, this is the first collection of the sort specifically focused on black women, non-binary, gender non-conforming people in nature. And so we hope for younger folks that, you know, it does inspire the next generation. That's one of the groups that we dedicated this book to and that they can see, okay, this person perhaps didn't have a quote unquote outdoorsy upbringing, but look at all the cool stuff that they're doing now. Also shows the diverse paths that people took and the diverse career options and activities. So they can see people that look like themselves and may have similar interests and know that they can do that too. And also have support in doing that through the contributors and the resources that we provided. And also for folks, you know, in the midst of their outdoor journey or science careers that they're not alone, that other people have had similar challenges, but we're all still finding joy and healing from the outdoors. And also for allies to have a, a better understanding, some diverse perspectives. Of course, this group is not a monolith and there are voices that unfortunately couldn't be included, but that this is just one step of many on their journey to learning about these topics that we're out here and we've been out here and (laughs) we want to stay out here and engage with everyone. Amber and I um, really made a craft of trying to speak sort of two languages and the title had a lot to do with that. We spent a lot of back and forth, a lot of back and forth about the title. Uh, We really wanted to get that dialed into Um, something that, would make sense and read to Black communities, but also make sense and read to non-Black communities as a bridge. Like, we really wanted this to be something for everyone. And I think one of the things in, in the way that we structured, organized the stories, we really wanted it to be apparent to especially non-Black readers that we have so much in common. <laughs> we have so much in common. <laughs> And we all are awkward fledglings when we're getting out into our, you know, climbing and surfing and paddleboarding. We're all doofy at one point. <laughs> um, so we wanted to have, like, it really is about building community um, and giving not just to the next generation of Black adventurers, but non-Black adventurers, too, just to be like, these stories still apply. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can learn a lesson here, too. Don't worry. <laughs> I found this book to be incredibly accessible. As a non-Black reader reading through it, I was like, I 
absolutely know this feeling. I absolutely know what this is. You know, like there was, I would say it was not only relatable, it was also incredibly accessible. To echo exactly what you said, that we have so much in common. We have so much in common. And the title... Yeah, you've, we've been outside, right? <laughs> yeah. this, isn't, this isn't new. We've been outside. Yeah. So obviously, this was a big undertaking. Obviously, you both have you. You're both doing your own things. But where do you, you know, think you'll collaborate again? Where, where, where do things go from here? And like, what, what else do you hope can kind of come from? the book from the anthology itself. Uh, I hope we collaborate again. This is really great. Amber is a really wonderful partner. I, this is such a great experience working with you. Amber. Likewise. I, <laughs> I'm so thrilled that we've been able to connect so much and that we are able to bring our experiences and power team <laughs> and, you know, help build this community. But, I am excited that a portion of the proceeds of the book is going to the Humble Hustle Company based in Roanoke, Virginia. And this organization has several programs benefiting the community, but the one that I've been most involved in, as well as some other contributors, is their Humble Hikes program. So this gets black youth from the city outside and also provides environmental science education. And a lot of these kids wouldn't have an opportunity to experience hiking, biking, kayaking, etc. otherwise. And it's been incredible to watch their transformation and growth and also perhaps seeing them maybe doubt themselves in the beginning or if they had a fear of heights, but then go on to complete these challenging hikes and just feel more confident about themselves and their abilities and it just makes my my heart so happy and so that we can have a small part in helping that means a lot yeah it's a phenomenal organization uh and a very difficult one we had a we had a short list like everything else we had a list of of uh nonprofits to choose from um and couldn't i mean humble hustle was just right on the money i feel like we just have a really great connection to them and uh, just support what they're doing. Uh, to that end, I do want to just kind of plug a part of the book that has come up in our book events, actually, which is at the back of the book, we have all these resources, which started out as references cited, <laughs> talking about working with scientists, <laughs> um, and then kind of expanded into, well, we actually learned a lot. And so many people are so plugged into so many different organizations. Let's just put it all in one place and let this book itself be a resource. Um, and so if you are thinking about getting out into nature or you're thinking about a particular sport, hiking, climbing, scuba diving, uh, there's probably a, a group that's mentioned <laughs> that you could reach out to and get in touch with. Um, and I'm going to use that to segue to talk about what's coming up uh, for me because <laughs> uh, it's related. So talking about Humble Hustle and actually some of the other organizations that are uh, listed in the book. Um, as part of uh, one of the questions that came up during one of our book events was, how are we going to be advocates and, and facilitate more and more people getting outside and finding out what their resources are and, and points of accessibility are? 
Um, and so that has <laughs> started a little small side project, and I emphasize small, <laughs> where um, I'll be working with Humble Hustle to um, lead a ski day out in uh, upstate New York. Uh, if not the Poconos, we're still deciding on a location. Um, and I'm hoping to do the same thing out here in Colorado with uh, BIPOC Mountain Collective. So those are things that are just kind of tenuous and, and getting underway, but definitely finding a way to teach more people how to get out snowboarding and in the backcountry is for sure <laughs> on the short list of things to I do. Love, I love that so much. And uh, my dream would be for all of the contributors of this book to one day get together and do something fun outdoors. We've met via Zoom and I've met a handful of folks in person, but there's still lots of people I would love to meet and go on an adventure with. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast, and we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard, Dustin Ballard, <laughs> and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the national parks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gaze at the national parks.com. And that's gaze, G A Z E. All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written and performed by Dave Seaman and Mariella Klinger with Sean Sclios on guitar. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording, Recording this episode that we are on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Middlesex County, New Jersey.